One of the things that uh, Aaron did not share with you when he was up here was that um, up until just a few hours ago, uh, Aaron was ranked about 145th in the country in his bracket for the NCAA, <laughs> literally. He was, and then Baylor lost, and it blew the bracket. Um, but for a moment, he was on the summit, and the view was beautiful. And then he became like the rest of us mortals. <laughs> Speaking of the summit, I want to tell you the story of an individual whose life parallels in some way another figure that we're going to meet in the biblical story from Matthew chapter 19 we'll be studying today. In his marvelous book, Halftime, many of you have read this or seen this, best-selling Christian book, Bob Buford tells us the story of his life. And, and he begins at age 44, where Buford is at that point at the apex of what the world defines as success. He had parlayed a, a cable television business into a massive operation that was growing by leaps and bounds and becoming a very, very profitable empire. Buford was driving a Jaguar. He was shuttling between a variety of luxurious homes. He was able to travel anywhere he wanted, whenever he wanted. And like some who have climbed the summit of places like Mount Everest, Buford had gotten by just sheer grit and determination all the way to the top. And as he found himself standing at the top of the world, he was wondering why he did not feel more excited about where he was, why he felt more conscious of the wind and the cold than he was of the view that he thought he'd be spending most of his time admiring. All my life, writes Buford, I had been great at developing strategic plans for my business. Now I realized I needed a plan for me. So I spread out my jumbled dreams and desires. I got together my lists of perceived strengths and weaknesses. I looked at my, at my catalog of things to do and of things I should probably abandon, but I found it to be a quagmire of both complementary and conflicting ambitions. What should I do now, he wondered. How should I invest my, my time and my talent and my treasures? through the rest of my life's journey, in the second half of my life? What are the values that really give purpose to my life? Uh, what is the overarching vision of life that, sh that should shape and direct me? Who am I? Where am I going? Have you ever been in a place like that? 
where just these fundamental questions of identity and vocation start to kick up for you. Well, amidst this confusing time, uh, Buford brought, or God brought, I guess, a, a person into Buford's life by the name of Mike Kami, K-A-M-I. And Mike was a renowned consultant, a vision and strategic planning consultant who had assisted numerous gigantic American companies in sorting through their mission. And, and God now used Mike Kami, who was not even a follower of Jesus, to sow into the soul of Bob Buford an explosively creative question. And the question was this, what is in the box? What is in the box for you? What are you, what are you even talking about, Buford asked him when that question was posed. And Mike went on to relate how he had posed this question to numerous companies and most recently to the senior leadership of the Coca-Cola company. Have you ever heard of them? <laughs> so um, he asked them, what's in the box for you? What's the mainstream spring of your business? What's the driving force? What's the ruling consideration for you people as you go forward as a company? And the executives deliberated together and then answered, Great taste. That's what's in the box for us. That's what we're all about. So Kami said, all right, then you need to think about how you live into that particular vision. So the executives at Coke went on to conduct a vast array, famously, of taste tests. Some of you are old enough to remember this season. And they came up with a new formula that tasted even better than the original one. I mean, this new formula was demonstrably better tasting than the former formula had been. And they introduced new Coke a short while later. And promptly blundered into one of the most famous product marketing gaffes in commercial history. Sales tanked almost overnight. Desperate now, the company called Mike Kami back in. And they said, they described him, just what was happening to their business. And Kami said, well, then you must have put the wrong word in the box. Let's try it again. And he leads them through another set of discussions and discernment exercises. And for several hours, they talk amongst themselves and the executives realized that pulling Coca-Cola from the market was akin to tampering with an American institution like motherhood or apple pie. Not a good idea. So they emerged from their discussion with something different to put in the box. And it was the phrase, American tradition. So they retooled the formula Classic Coke went back on the shelves, and Coca-Cola went on to many brighter years. Mike Kami let this story he had been telling sink in to Bob Buford. And then he said, Bob, I've been listening to you for quite a few hours now. I've heard about your passions. I've heard about your interests and commitments. And I can tell you What's in your box? I can give you that answer if you're interested. And I can tell you 
that it is either money or it's Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure which it is. But if you can tell me which it is, I can tell you the strategic implications of that particular choice. And if you cannot tell me which it is, then I think you're going to oscillate pretty much between those two values and be confused the rest of your life. Kami, I would just point out, was articulating the first two instructions that we've been underlining in this series from the teachings of Jesus. And the first idea was, Bob, get off the fence. And secondly, make it your objective to serve, to be a servant of whatever that ultimate thing is that you put in the box. Buford said, no one had ever put such a significant question to me in these direct terms. And after a few minutes, which seemed like hours, I said, well, if it has to be one or the other, I will put Jesus in the box. Years later, Buford observed, you know, to put Christ in the box, I found, is actually a paradox. It's to actually break down the walls of the box and allow the power and the grace of his life to invade every aspect of your life. You put him there, and he grows. You put him at the center, and he expands to fill and to infiltrate in the best possible way everything. It follows the same wonderfully inverted logic as Christ's ancient assertion, this is Buford's writing here, that it is in giving that one receives, that it is in our weakness that we're made strong, and in dying that we're born to a richer life. I chose to make Christ my primary loyalty, writes Buford, and I found that he did not insist upon exclusive attention. I I, I still had loyalties to my wife and to my work and to my friends and to all kinds of projects. Now Christ just became the center of all that, but in a way that gave my life balance and wholeness. And what I, the picture that came to mind for me, Dan Meyer, about this, is that Christ became the hub, not just a department, not just an accessory, not just a go-to resource in certain times. He became the hub of Buford's life, and all of the other important activities became like the spokes. And with that strong hub, then his life became this wheel that could roll along in a much better kind of way. Long ago, another young man stood atop the Mount Everest of success and found himself similarly wondering why he felt not all that he had wanted to feel in that moment. He had this yearning like Buford had, I suppose. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? That wealthy young man asked of a certain rabbi from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus replied by saying, in effect, this was the, sort of the shorthand of his answer, um, here's what you do. You need to love God with everything that you are, and, and you need to, to follow his plan for human life. 
And then, and Jesus describes this in terms of, of these verses. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. In other translations, he speaks of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, all these commandments I've kept. I've worked hard at this. What do I still lack? I'm doing the right things, he's saying. I'm managing about as well as I know how. So why don't I feel like my life is working the way I want it to work? Why don't I feel like it's more significant? Why don't I feel like my life is, is integrated and, and rolling and balanced in the way that I want? How do I get that eternal quality of life I see in you, Jesus? This life you keep describing in these parables that you're telling how do I get that kind of health and wholeness, that grace and goodness, that power and peace that is so much you, Jesus, and I think is what this kingdom you talk about is all about. What do I still lack, Jesus, that I don't have that? Have you ever felt that way? Like you had a lot. Your life was filled with muchness but not the level of meaning, not the level of transcendent hope that you wished for, that you thought you might have. And Jesus answered that particular question that we ask sometimes and that this rich young man was asking by saying, in effect, what you lack is the right thing in the box. If you want to be perfect, you're going to have to take out what's in there right now, and put in something else. And, and in your case, he's speaking now to the rich young man because he, he knows what's in the guy's box. And he, so he calls him to take that out, and he says, I want you to go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And Matthew's gospel goes on to say that when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Or more properly speaking, his great wealth had him. What has you? Who or what has you? What is the mainspring, the driving force, the ruling consideration, as Mike Kami might say, in your life? What's, what's in the box? What's in the box? Is it, like this man in the story, possessions, money and possessions? Is it this belief that, that if I just had more, life would be better? You know, I, I've, met, I've met very, very poor people in, in the developing world who, who, who just think, I just need a little bit more. I need a little bigger grass hut. You know, I, I, and things will be, will be good. I have met billionaires who, who felt that. That, you know, just a billion doesn't go as far as it used to, says J. Paul Getty. You know, it, they just want to have... Some more, and you know some in the news, trillionaires even, that, that seem to be in this mindset. Maybe, maybe it's approval that you've got in the box. 
Maybe it's the approval of other people. You think that if I could just please more people or everybody or gain more admirers or followers, I'm going to feel a whole lot better. If there were more likes, I just know some of us go through high school and our middle school years thinking if I just had more people that were following me, I would feel so much better. Is it order and control that's, that's in the box? Uh, you're one of those people that feel like, it, you know, if you can just get your life organized, if, if you can just manage to get through the to-do list and, and clear the inbox and, and review all of the posts, things will be so good. If I could just get this thing in my hands. Maybe, maybe it's knowledge that you've put in the box. You know, you just, you're just feverishly always reading, you're studying, you're trying to acquire more information. You just feel, if I just knew more, I'd be able to set things right. I wouldn't be surprised. I'd have something to say. One day I'll know enough and it's going to all come together. I just know that's going to happen. Or is it power? Maybe it's power. Are you one of those people who feels, if I can just get the upper hand, if I can just get out from under this person that's doing what they're doing to me, if I can just find a way to be free and, 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 and really control things in a deeper way, then I, I'm going to be much, much happier. What is in the box? What's in the box for you? And, and what would the people who know you best say is in the box? Could you dare to ask someone that? Maybe even today? I think that on some level and on different days, I've got all of these things in my box. In fact, I sometimes think I've got bags of boxes. <laughs> you know, I carry around a lot of these voices, these impulses, these imperatives. You know, I feel like I, I subconsciously I'm dragging the, the, the bag of boxes with me through the doorway every time I walk into a, a, a location. I, I do not often check the bags. I do not often look into the box uh, to really examine what's in there. Usually I'm moving so fast that I just drag it along with me. But in rare moments, I get... These, these, these times of quiet and I, and I get more introspective and reflective and I, and I maybe even invite a friend into a conversation with me to figure out what's in there, what's driving me. And that happens for me sometimes in worship. I'll be hearing a song, a prayer, something, a message from one of our preachers and I'll start to become aware of what I think is going on inside of me. And the season of Lent is an opportunity. In fact, it's an invitation to slow down and to stop and to check our bags and to look into our boxes. And it could be a very humbling thing to realize how much of our life is actually ruled by what's in there. Maybe I just need therapy. I don't know. Maybe you're not relating to this. You know, the ancient desert fathers of the Christian tradition had this theory that, that at the bottom of life for people, even underneath the box, was, was one of three 
driving passions that, that, that tended to own people if they were not very self-reflective and working with these things, putting these things before God in the daylight. Uh, for some people, it's anxiety at the bottom of the bag, underneath the box. Uh, it's anxiety. It's this roiling worry that I'm not loved enough, I'm not competent enough, I'm not special enough. And, and, and subconsciously, that anxiety about pleasing and impressing other people is driving a lot of those other behaviors that I've just described before. For other people, it's fear underneath it. It's this, this, this existential uh, fear that, that the bottom is going to drop out if I'm not uh, you know, perfect enough, if I'm not uh, knowledgeable enough, if I'm not keeping everybody happy or protecting myself in some other way, you know, I'm just, it's all going to go away. It's not that the other people will not like me. I mean, life's going to fall apart. For other people, it's anger at the bottom. A sense that the world is out there to get me. A resentment that the world is coming against me. That I'm not being treated as I ought to be. Things are not as they should be. And it's breathing. This passion is breathing through, through everyday actions all the time. So what is it for you? What's in the box and then maybe what's underneath that? How is it shaping your life? And again, do you have somebody that you could ask about that, who knows you and loves you and has seen and experienced enough of you to help you gain some insight about that? Jesus once said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. What he basically is saying is, if you just let life go on by inertia, by following the example of other people, you wind up going someplace you don't want to go. You wind up in a condition you don't want to be in. And then he says, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It takes discipline to walk a road uh, particularly as we go on through life and we've accumulated quite a bit of baggage, it takes discipline to, to, to really um, find a better kind of life. And Jesus basically makes it clear. He wants us to have a great life. I have come, he says, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've come that you might have eternal life. Uh, th these are the messages of Jesus. But the problem Jesus addresses is that many of us are like camels laden with bags and boxes with stuff that won't fit through the gate, especially the gate that leads to the kingdom, which is as small and narrow as the eye of a needle. Now, Jesus is speaking hyperbolically here. Lots of Jesus' teaching is in extreme hyperbolic terms because he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to say, you've got too much stuff, too much baggage, and you need to get rid of that in order to find your way through into the life of the kingdom. This is what Lent is about. Lent is a season where, where Jesus comes to us if we slow down and listen and he comes to us, and he offers to help us change the formula. 
to, to back to the original formula it was supposed to be. He offers to help us understand what's in our box and replace it with what can really change our life for good. And only this transformation can enable us to walk through the gate and into the life we want. We're always tempted to look almost in every sphere of life, but maybe especially in the realm of spirituality, we're always looking for these micro changes we can make, these fine-tuning adjustments to make. Make, us a, make me a little better. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But Jesus, when Jesus is talking about the process by which we get what it is we really want, he uses the word repent. Repent. Repenting is not fine-tuning. Repenting is being going this direction and turning and going this direction. It's having something dominating the center and removing it and putting something else in the center. Uh, the scriptures say that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It's in Hebrews. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But for the rest of us, the program is what? Change. It's transformation. It's a lifetime of sanctification, of growth and stretching and renewal. And uh, it's not something to be feared. It's something wonderful. We call it growth. So if, like Bob Buford and many others before and since him, we want a better life, then let's allow Jesus to replace what's in our box I want to invite you to do a little thought exercise here, an imaginative exercise. Maybe it's anxiety that's driving a lot of what happens in your life. I want you to picture Jesus coming to you right now. And he looks at you with love in his eyes. By the way, in another version, scripture text of this same story of the rich young man, um, it says, and Jesus looking at him loved him. He loves you. You know, he, even just the way you are, just the way, he loves us and loves us enough to want to change us and help us to the better kind of life. So imagine him coming to you and he looks in your box and he sees anxiety there and he reaches in and he scoops it all out and gathers it up and holds it in his arms and then throws it away and he says, peace now I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither be afraid. But trust in God. And trust also in me. It's going to be okay. You have our favor. You don't need to be anxious about the approval of everybody else. I love you so much, I lay my life down for you. Let go of the worries. Let go of the anxiety. Or maybe it's fear that's driving you too much. It's dominating your life unconsciously. I just want you to picture that Jesus comes to you. And he says, as he does some 17 times in the New Testament, do not be afraid. Have no fear. I am with you always. I've got you. I've got this. I hold the world in my hands. Trust me. I know the future I have for you. 
Or maybe it's anger in your bag. I want you to invite you to imagine that Jesus comes to you and he stretches out his hands towards you and you notice that those hands are nail-pierced hands and, and, and he reaches in and with those damaged hands, he managed to scoop out all of the anger and throws it away behind him and he takes his place in the box and he says, I am filling your heart right now with me with my power. I'm filling your life right now with the ability to love your enemies, to forgive those who do not know what they do or have been doing, to forgive you and to forgive others as I've forgiven you. I'm filling you with that grace that casts out this anger. Jesus can take the place of all of the destructive anguish that lives inside the container of our heart. He wants to do that. He can replace anxiety with faith and fear with hope and anger with love. And as he becomes the primary reality in our box, it will alter so many things. It will alter the way we understand the other spokes of our life. It will change the way we use our money. It will alter the level to which we care about human approval versus having God's approval. It will transform the manner in which we react when our control or our power is being threatened. It will convert the purposes to which we put to use our knowledge or use the power. Power is a good thing. It will change the way we use that power And we will not only check inside of our bags more regularly once Jesus is at the center, but we will actually check some of those bags entirely, like we'll leave them behind. And we will live much freer and less burdened kinds of lives. Who's up for a freer and less burdened kind of life? Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are tired of carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Sign me up for rest. Bob Buford discovered that eternal quality of life for himself. Began at age 44. The journey that led him to really understand the possibilities of life. And Jesus took a central place in his life and reordered his life, and it made a big difference, and it, was, and it needed to, because Bob, was, Bob had lost and was losing and did lose his precious child, a tragic death of a precious child, and he needed the love of Christ to help him survive that. Christ guided Bob Buford in going even beyond his business career, which he kept going. But then Bob used his time, talents, and treasure also to found an organization called Leadership Network that taught thousands of churches and pastors how to, how to use their gifts more effectively. I will tell you personally, Bob, God changed my life through Bob Buford, through, through the wisdom of Bob Buford. And the founding pastor of Christ Church, Arthur de Kreider, was also profoundly shaped in his leadership in life through the way Jesus worked through Bob Buford, who was a guest here on this campus uh, on one occasion. Uh, The question I want to ask you in closing is, what about you? 
How about you? Will you let Jesus take the place of what haunts and harries you? Will you make that your number one concern? Will you practice the spiritual disciplines that enable Jesus to work through you, to keep that replacement process going and growing? Will you invest further in a relationship with him that can lift you higher? Will you let today be the day, if you've never done this before, where you say, Jesus, come be the center of my life. Throw out whatever needs disposing of. Take away my sin. Lead me in the path. If you pray that prayer and ask him to do that, Jesus will come in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in. Let today be that day for you. Or you can do the other thing. You can do the thing that the Pharisees did as they watched this encounter unfold between Jesus and this young man and between Jesus and a variety of other people. Jesus looked at the Pharisees, the religious people of his day, and he said, I know you believe you've reached the summit of success, but you know what? I can see what's in the box. I can see what's in the box. In fact, he says, and I quote him, woe to you, you hypocrites. You're putting all these burdens on other people. Look at your life inside of yourself. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look all beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of everything unclean. You can wrap up the box with all kinds of pretty paper and ribbons, but, but I know what's inside the box. And it's dead. It's killing you. And it's leaking out. And it's toxic to other people. I tell you, check your bags. Change your formula. Repent, says Jesus. Repent. And presented with that invitation to a greater kind of life, you know what the Pharisees did. They sealed their box even tighter. They held their bags even closer. They said, as you and I have the freedom to say to the call of Christ, even today, nope. I think we'd rather just crucify you. What's your choice as you respond to the call of Christ?